By now, you probably have heard about the Ocean Gate submersible implosion and the tragic deaths of the five men on board. But there's another heartbreaking story that happened the week before that tragedy. A migrant boat with hundreds of people on board capsized, killing the majority of people on board, including a large number of children. Yet the response to these two stories were strikingly different. The Titanic tourists who included two billionaire passengers were searched for with a surprising intensity that wasn't replicated for the migrants, especially in light of the lack of news coverage about their story. In fact, shockingly, captains who tried to save the migrants and provide assistance as one would on scene may be prosecuted and jailed for trying to help them. What also struck me about both of these stories was the complete lack of empathy for both the billionaires and the migrants, but for completely different reasons. In this episode, I'm exploring the topic of empathy. Why does it seem like we don't have empathy for the rich or for the poor? Continue listening on. memes, the countdowns, and more as morbid curiosity had people around the world wondering what would happen next. The billionaires were also on an adventure that would end badly, and it seemed like no one really cared either way for either group. There was a distinct lack of empathy for what was a terrifying situation for both. In this episode of Michelle is Money Hungry, I'm taking a deep dive into this story, this story that I just can't get off my mind and reflect on why society seems to metaphorically want to eat the rich and hate the poor. Every time I get into a vehicle, I know that I have some way out. In fact, every single time we board a plane, the first order of business that the team focuses on is sharing with the passengers how to safely get out. If you're on a bus, there's details on the windows on how to pop out the window by pulling that red lever or lever along the window seal. Same goes for riding a train. What I can't get over is that the tourists on the submersible had no way to get out of the vehicle. In the days after the implosions, I had so many questions and I'm going to share some. How did Cardi B become the voice of proper social decorum as one of the billionaire's stepsons attended a Blink-182 concert, tried to hook up with an OnlyFans model, and got outed by EDM Twitter for being wildly problematic in that space. And by the way, the EDM community thread is wild. Cardi B was right to call him out. Who would look at an Xbox controller maneuvering a submersible 13,000 feet underneath the sea and not get the fuck out of that vehicle and say to themselves, nope, this feels wrong. How is it that hundreds of people died, hundreds, in one moment, and there was no significant news coverage of the disaster until a week after it happened? I cannot get over that. Even though it has been reported that this is the highest death toll related to capsized vehicle in modern times for this type of accident. I I don't understand how these people didn't seem to matter. 
How was it that so many people backed out of the trip on the submersible because they had questions, and rightfully so, about safety, especially given recent footage that showed water droplets, water droplets at the top of the inside window seal of the submersible in an earlier trip this year. How was Stockton Rush's wife, the great-great-granddaughter of passengers who perished on the actual Titanic? Were we being punked? Ultimately, though, I was struck by how ghoulish the conversation became with news programs showing countdowns of when the air in the submersible would run out. There almost felt like there was a sense of glee. When had we become so cruel? It turns out we've always been this way. Here are some headlines that came out directly after the actual Titanic disaster in 1912. Here's the first one. Titanic tragedy was criminal and needless. The second, bitter censure of the Californian, it's a ship, failed to respond to Titanic distress signals. And then the third, the third is wild. It was kind of the Titanic to provide a ballroom for the mermaids. This was from the Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania Evening News, published on April 25th, 1912. Then there was Black Twitter. The memes and tweets were brutal. I asked myself what was going on, though, from a money and class perspective. Right now, the United States is going through some things, but most notably, there is a palatable anger against billionaires by many, even though there are some folks who love them. We regularly hear about Elon Musk, who pissed off a lot of people this week as I record this episode, as he tinkered around with his Twitter product that he didn't pay bills on. And so the cost apparently is going to be passed on to his customers yet again. There's Mark Zuckerberg and Rihanna. In fact, I even personally asked the question, are billionaires evil, even if they're Rihanna? You can listen to that episode. I've included a link in the show notes. And by the way, I adore Rihanna, but I have to ask that question. In a time when labor union activity has picked up, astronomical amounts of wealth is being earned via the labor of others, or in some cases without human labor, people are getting really angry. Americans are fighting for equitable and fair wages, healthcare, accessible and affordable education, housing that you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. And so this idea that you would go to the bottom of the sea seems strange, especially in light of the fact that that submersible had one tiny window. Am I going to climb over the other people in there with me to see outside of it? Everything about it just felt weird. $250,000. Billionaires are spending $250,000 to check out what is actually a watery grave. Let's be clear. As one person on TikTok pointed out, to a billionaire, that $250,000 is the equivalent of about 30 bucks. But it doesn't matter. As people struggle to pay rent, access transportation, and receive student loan forgiveness, it feels like the lighthearted pursuits of the rich 
often feels like a slap in the face. And by the way, as I record this, the student loan forgiveness policy was struck down by SCOTUS or the Supreme Court of the United States. You can also check out a link to a 13-week season that I did all about what would happen if we had a student loan policy. I explored the good, the bad, what could potentially happen. That's what I did last summer for 13 weeks. I included a link to that episode as well. In the past year, I've paid attention to this increasing tension between the working class and the billionaires who employ many of them. A partisan Supreme Court that feels like it prioritizes business instead of the people. And the prevailing belief that billionaires benefit through business models that cause harm such as the family that was instrumental in causing the opioid epidemic across the United States, but won't be held accountable beyond the initial settlement that they were fined for. Are we wrong to expect more from those who have been given so much? And really, I mean, I I wonder, like, are we wrong for having this expectation? Because clearly they're not living up to the standard that we're setting for them. And then there's the migrants. They were seeking a better life, going somewhere new. Isn't that in some ways an adventure too? I mean, America is all about the slightly problematic manifest destiny that is at the core of our, how we think about things, expand or die. That's manifest destiny. They were willing to take risks that many don't or won't or can't. Can you imagine what it must be like to go to a country that is new to you, speak a different language, and start over personally and professionally while many of the people there can't stand that you are there? Those of us who aren't billionaires took notes as military assets and well-known experts were deployed to assist with the retrieval of that submersible. Across countries, it wasn't just the U.S. doing this, like Canada and the U.S., and then there were assets that were brought in from overseas pissed us off. Uncomfortably, we would also discover that the U.S. military was very aware that the vehicle had suffered catastrophic failure days before, but allowed the search to continue on. Many of us realizing that if the same happened to us, no one would care. The working poor seemed to only be valued for their work output and maybe by their friends. There is a movie that I think about from time to time. I've referenced it a couple of times in the work that I've done on Michelle is Money Hungry. That movie is called In Time, starring Justin Timberlake. Not always a fan of his, by the way, but this movie I do like because of the premise. And in the movie, the citizens literally work for more time for their lives. Like, to add to their lives, literally. They are granted endless youth though and stop aging at the age of 25. But if they run out of the time that they accrued, that's it, they die in in their footsteps. So on their arms, there's literally a clock, like an embedded clock. Think of it like a, a digital screen, but it's in their skin. And it counts down each day and each day they go to work to add to their time. The scenes where the people are working to accrue more time are the scenes that I think about the most from that movie. 
They're in soulless places where joy is hard to find. It's not there. There's no purpose. It just is this endless grind. Meanwhile, the billionaires hoard time by the billions and billions of minutes, seconds, hours. They are practically immortal. They've gamed the system and it's at the expense of others. And it feels like they will always prosper based on how the system is set up. No one else can win. This movie really resonates with me. Time is the one thing that I personally always crave. I want time with people, time for myself, time to rest, time to explore, time to be creative, time to spend with my family and friends. That is what drives me. And what the movie really drives home is that work equals time, but the simple pleasures such as paying for a cup of coffee will take that precious time away. But as things get more expensive, so does the time. It also feels in the movie like the rich don't even appreciate the gift of time and take unnecessary risks with it. Does it sound familiar? Unironically, I'm serious as I say this. As I worked on this piece, on this podcast episode, the largest cruise ship is about to be launched. There were a lot of blog posts and images around this cruise ship that they're about to launch. I think it's going to start in 2024. And I was like, are you serious? And then also Virgin Atlantic has these tours up to the edge of space for $450,000. Now here's the thing. People who have the money to do these things have every right to do what they want to do. I go back to this question, which is, what is their obligation to society? Do they have one? Especially when so many of them benefit through the harm of others. Like we perceive it this way. Thank you for listening to this episode. And in the next episode, I am exploring how to find an extra $500 for your upcoming student loan payment. Please share that episode with any person that you know. I have side hustled. I've done so many side hustles. So I have some thoughts about what you can do in addition to side hustling, but also how to strategize that because those student loan payments, those repayments are coming and it's something that cannot be ignored. (laughs) 